Your words matter a lot. As a leader, I learned to be much more patient before speaking and choose my words carefully. Because words matter a lot. You can tear down in a second with just a few words the trust you built over years with an individual. Think about your position as an educator and leader. Reflect back on your experience in school. What were some of the nicest things an adult ever said about you? What were some of the worst things they said? Now flip it. What was the best thing you ever said about a student or staff member? What was the worst thing you said about a student or staff member? Words matter a lot. We'll start there with my guest today, Manuel Colon, in a terrible message he received from his high school counselor. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by teachers using TeachFX to increase student engagement online and in the classroom during an ongoing pandemic. Hi, we're the third grade team from General Stanford Elementary, and we're here to tell you about our experience with TeachFX. It has been a really eye-opening experience for us this year. We know that students who are highly engaged in the classroom achieve a higher level of success. So we use TeachFX to help us monitor and collect data. TeachFX has really helped us reach our professional goals to pinpoint students that maybe aren't used talking as much, as well as seeing our balance of wait time, group talk time, student talk time, and then teacher talk time across the grade level and kind of discuss with each other, you know, what's working in your classroom versus what might be working in mine. To learn more about using TeachFX to support your teachers with feedback during COVID, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Well, hello, ruckus makers. Today, I'm joined by Manuel Colon, the Chief Academic Officer for the Anaheim Union High School District. In his 28 years in education, he has held many positions, including junior and high school principal, as well as assistant superintendent. He degrees or he has degrees from UC Santa Cruz, Stanford University, and UCLA. He has received multiple individual awards and presented at many state and national conferences. Welcome, Manuel. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I want to start uh, with something your counselor said. And if I remember correctly, when I was taking notes on your story, I think you said you were one of six kids from your high school that enrolled and was able to go to a four-year college. But the, the counselor actually discouraged you to go, right? He said that you weren't prepared, that you'd fail. And I want, can you just elaborate on that story? That's where I want to start. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm um, just going back to high school, you know, grew up in Southern California and, you know, just like anybody else back in the, in the, in the, early to mid 80s, it was challenging, I think, for, for all of us, but for, for some of us. And uh, at the high school, you know, I didn't know any better, but at the high school where I was at, you know, we had very few AP classes, very few honor classes. And when I got to the senior year and applied to go to a four-year college, 
I got accepted to, to UC Santa Cruz. And upon getting accepted, got a, a call slip to come up to see the counselor. And when I you know, got to see him, he was very encouraging, very supportive. But the reason why he called me in was to, you know, encourage me to, to enroll at the local community college. And, and I was taken back. But he, in, in his mind, he felt that, that that's where the next step should be. That, you know, I wasn't prepared to go to a four-year college. And he was trying to help me uh, be successful. And so for him you know, that should be my next step. And I should really reconsider going to a four-year college. Later on, I found out that only six of our students, co-students from the high school had gotten accepted to a four-year college out of the entire graduating class. But again, fortunately for me, I had supportive parents. I had a supportive brother who had already gone to a four-year college. And I went on, took a chance and went on to UC Santa Cruz. And I appreciate you talking about the the support you had, because I can only think about like, what about that kid who'd be the first generation college student, right? And the counselor just like that says, you know, you're not going to make it. And they don't have the support system at home. And right there, they close doors, you know, without even giving themselves an option. I know you said you were taken aback, but can you tell us anything else, like what you might have been feeling in that moment or hearing that only six of your peers were also enrolling in, in four-year uh, colleges? Like, how do, how do you process that as a young student? You know, I think you, 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 you get angry. <laughs> I think more than anything, you get angry because you're, you're wondering what it is that, that they're trying to tell you. And it's taken me a while to really understand the impact that you know, that those comments had on me personally and professionally. But I think I think I, I, I did get angry because I felt that, you know, they were they had low expectations for me. They had low expectations for me. They had low expectations for my fellow classmates. And to me, that 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 was a huge problem. They they had my future in their hands. And I and I was scared. I was afraid to go on to a four year college. I was afraid to fail. And I think you know, he really fed into that fear of, of, hey, you know, maybe, maybe I should, I should reconsider this. Maybe I should take my time and go to, you know, community college. And, you know, knowing what I know now, I know that if, if I had gone to a community college, I don't know if I would have transferred with, with, you know, such low numbers of kids transferring from a community college to four-year college, you know, I'm sure I, I could have found other things to get involved with uh, work, for example, you know, I was one of seven kids and my parents, you know, did not, my mom didn't work. And so my dad was the only person who worked in our family. So being one of the oldest or eldest of the, of the seven kids, I did have pressure to, to work. And so it could have been that I could have just started to work and help, help the family. So, you know, that simple question about me, you know, reconsidering going to a four-year college could have changed the trajectory of my life. So... And how, how does that impact and inform your, your work today? Well, I mean, I think that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I've always wanted to be a teacher. I've always wanted to be in education. And, and so for me, I believe that, that we do have a huge responsibility. And, and going through school and going through um, getting my credential, it was super important for me to be well-prepared so that when I had these opportunities to not only um, inspire kids, but to make and help them 
and and help them really, you know, be self-advocates for themselves. It, it, you know, for me, that decision changed what I do now. I know how important it is to provide the right training for our staff to make sure that those decisions are made, to understand where our kids are coming from so our staff can better assist and better prepare. So for me, it has changed everything that I do every single day uh, of my career, going through as a teacher, going through as a principal, and now as an assistant superintendent, you know, we, we do have a lot of power, especially because in education, you, you have the future at your hands. So everything you do, everything you say matters, everything. And so for me, I think about myself in that moment, uh, in that counselor's classroom, I mean, that counselor's office, listening to, to them talk about how, you know, I wasn't prepared and, and how I felt crushed and defeated. And, and so for me, I want to make sure that, that we change that mindset of those of us that are in education and we ensure that what we are saying and what we are doing is in the best interest of our kids always. Right. You know, we all, we all come to work with, with baggage. We have biases that we might not be aware of. They're not uncovered yet. Who knows, you know, this counselor was doing that intentionally or not. I mean, it still is going to cause harm. I'm curious, you know, so you, you, you've had a wonderful career, been in the classroom, thrived there, you know, led local schools and now leading from the district level. Is there, is there a moment or two that, that you can think of that would be helpful for the ruckus maker listening uh, where you had to challenge a, a peer or a staff member and potentially what came out of their mouth and how they talked about kids because of this same type of challenge and issue? Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate because I think it happens quite a bit. It happens every day. It's happened in, in you know, my 20 plus years in, in education. And I hear colleagues, I hear teachers, I hear counselors uh, continue to say the same things, you know. And, and again, these are biases that people have. Um, and like you said, many times people um, have the best intentions in the kids, the best intentions in what they're saying and how they want to support but they don't understand that that what they say does matter. You know, the question I always say, you know, would you say that to your own child? Would you say that to your, you know, your nieces and nephews? You know, but I think, you know, going back to your question, throughout my career, I feel that I have been challenged constantly because of who I am as a Latino, you know, person who's an immigrant whose first language isn't English. And all of those things and all of those experiences, which I'm very proud of because they make me who I am, you know, also has caused uh, me to be challenged constantly, to be questioned. <laughs> and I think that, you know, so I see it much more often than I think most people would, would expect to. Um, I remember being a teacher and being at a very affluent school and constantly being the only Latino teacher, constantly being challenged. And, and for me, it was important to be there. It was important for kids who normally do not see Latino teachers in, in, in their history. Um, you know, so, you know, the people that they see in, in, that are Latino are, are, are usually, you know, people who are mowing their lawn or cleaning their house. So to see a Latino teacher who's educating them and the parents to see that was, was extremely important for me and for them. And I feel that I contributed to their understanding 
of, of life in general. So that I think that's that's one of the biggest things. Um, the other thing is, you know, in, in terms of of just going through and the decisions that we're having to make, both as a principal and as a superintendent, you have to keep equity at the forefront of those decisions. You have to keep those least, you know, those most disenfranchised kids at the forefront because many times they don't have a voice. Many times they're the ones that are forgotten. And, and so you have to constantly be thinking about who are we missing? Who is not being successful? And, 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 and so those are the things that, that, that I think about every day. And I, and I would hope that many of you think about as well. The only way we're going to change and improve and all be successful if we have that at, our, at the forefront of all of our decisions. I love that idea because you have to keep it, you have to keep it in, in everybody's view, right? So they don't miss the target. It's really easy to relax into things that are very comfortable, right? And usually when we're talking about reaching students that are underserved or not experiencing the success that many students are experiencing in a school that requires a shift and a change, right, from, from faculty members. Uh, and that could require hard work too, sometimes not. Sometimes it's just a shift in expectations and thinking and the approach. But that's my way of saying you have to keep it in, in front of them. So besides asking, like, who are we missing, you know, who's not being successful right now, is there a, a posture, an approach, a framework, or or anything that's worked for you in the past to help keep people focused on that equity piece? You know, one of the things that I always use, it, because it is a challenge, and, and I think, you know, going to my principalships, that's been a big task that I've taken on is how do I shift the culture of the campus? Because it, it has been a struggle. You know, you go onto a campus that's, that's adult focused. And it's it's about their feeling. It's about how they want things done. And the students sometimes come second. And so how do you change the culture from there? And in their mind, they're they're helping the kids. But in what you see is that they help the kids that are being successful or they help the kids that are very similar to them in terms of, of demographic or socioeconomic um, because that's who they connect with. And And so how do you shift that culture? How do you help people look themselves in the mirror to say, you know what, I, I really have to stop and think about if what I'm doing is hurting or helping the kids. And so one of the things that I've always done um, at all the schools that I've been at, and especially the ones that I've been a principal at, is, is using student voice. Using student voice who, you know, every teacher wants to do the right thing. Every teacher wants to help kids. That's, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be in education if, if, if they didn't feel that way. Even the teachers that have had 30 years in the classroom and, you know, kind of have disengaged, you talk to them and, and, and they all want to help kids. And so, you know, when they hear the voice of the kids, they hear their struggle, they hear what they're going through on a day-to-day basis, it hits them. It, they, they react. You cannot deny a kid, a student who is struggling, who doesn't uh, connect or, or, or struggling just for the basic needs that he has or she has. And so um, for me, it's how do I utilize the voice of the student to change that mindset? And and, and I will say that, you know, I I can put everything in front of a a staff. I can put data. I can put stories. I can bring in the, the most, you know, current research on just about any topic. 
Um, and they listen and they read and they kind of, you know, I, I, I create questions that, that, that they process and they can discuss. But when they hear the voice of the child talk about their experience and how they feel, changes, you know, uh, their mindset completely. Um, it softens them up. So then we can have real conversations. And, and, and really, you know, it, it's just factual. You can't, you can't deny how a child is feeling. And so through that voice, that person then understands. And through that voice, that person feels compassion. And once you get them to shift, then you can have a meaningful conversation about what does this mean? What does this mean for us in education? What does this mean for our school? And how can we ensure that that child that's suffering is helped? And so, um, you know, that voice of the child has really made a huge difference above and beyond anything else that I can put in front of a staff. Yeah, that student voice reminder is so helpful. And, you know, like you said, it, it softens the staff. It, it connects with their heart, right? I think it increases their compassion and empathy, and then they're more willing to change. So that that's a really valuable piece that you shared there. Thank you, Manuel. Um, enjoying our conversation, uh, but we're going to pause here just for a moment for a message from our sponsors. And when we get back, I'd love to ask you about how you learned to trust yourself and your experiences. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by teachers using TeachFX to increase student engagement online and in the classroom during an ongoing pandemic. Hi, we're the third grade team from General Stanford Elementary, and we're here to tell you about our experience with TeachFX. It has been a really eye-opening experience for us this year. We know that students who are highly engaged in the classroom achieve a higher level of success. So we use TeachFX to help us monitor and collect data. TeachFX has really helped us reach our professional goals to pinpoint students that maybe aren't used talking as much, as well as seeing our balance of wait time, group talk time, student talk time, and then teacher talk time across the grade level and kind of discuss with each other, you know, what's working in your classroom versus what might be working in mine. To learn more about using TeachFX to support your teachers with feedback during COVID, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right, and we're back with Manuel Colon, the Chief Academic Officer for the Anaheim Union High School District. And something you told me is that you, you had to learn to trust yourself in your experiences and your ability. Tell me more about that. Cause I think the, the ruckus maker listening, maybe they're a confident leaner and I hope they are, but we all have that imposter syndrome, right? That says maybe we're not good enough or whatever. And so I think this, this will help. So yeah. What do you have for us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, going back to the story of my high school and, and my counselor, and I shared with you guys that I always wanted to be a teacher and the reason why, why I always wanted to be a teacher was because I, I didn't have a good experience growing up in school. But I've always wanted to be a teacher since since day one. I 
played the role of a teacher going into college. I said I wanted to be a teacher, but um, really it's, it's uh, because of those experiences, those, those negative experiences that, that, I, that I really wanted to go into education because I wanted to change that mindset. I wanted to, to make education work for all and be effective. And so um, going into education, I felt that in order to do that, I had to have the best education possible. I had to have the best preparation. I had to have the best experiences to be able to confidently go into a classroom and be effective. And so for me, it has been that feeling or that mindset in terms of, of trusting myself that I was ready and that I was prepared to be who I needed to be to be successful. And, and you know, and, and, and I always have questioned myself. That's just natural, you know, human nature. But I think that, you know, being ready and, and having those experiences mattered for me to feel confident in every position that I had because I knew that I was walking in and, and walking in, I was going to be challenged. And so I had to be ready to be challenged and to not feel inferior and to not feel like I couldn't or shouldn't or, 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 or you know, were, was not in the right place. And so, and so for me, every experience was important. Every education, every degree, every position that I had was really about being who I am and, and being confident in who I am. You know, because like I said, from the beginning, I was the first Latino teacher in a very affluent area. I was the first Latino principal at the junior high that I was at, first Latino principal at the high school that I was principalship, and then on and on. And and so knowing that that's a huge undertaking was was super important for me in terms of knowing that I was ready. And, and trusting myself in every decision I made, trusting my experience, trusting my education. And I feel like that has gotten me to, to where I'm at today because I, I, I have to. I have to do that. I have to trust myself for the benefit of the kids that yeah. we serve. And you've helped a lot of other people to level up, so to speak. That's what I call it when you develop. And you're the, the principal of the largest middle school in Orange County and uh, experienced some great success there. And you were wonderful at building the capacity of your staff. So tell us how you did that. It's again, going back to my experience, I, you know, I, I don't, I feel like, like what I have learned has gotten me to, to those successes. I don't think I went in saying I want to be successful. I think when I went into the junior high, which at the time was the largest junior high in Orange County, over 2,300 kids, I had no idea what I was doing, but going in and, and knowing that I took a school that, that was probably the lowest performing school in the county and one of the lowest performing schools in the state to really transform it and change it. It wasn't about me thinking that I was going to do that. It was about me changing and shifting the culture of the campus. It's about me shifting and changing the culture of the staff. And I think that it was relationships that I built it was trust that I built. It was challenges that I that I took on, and 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 you have to be courageous in these kinds of situations. But it it, 
was about the shifting of the culture of the campus that made the difference. Everything came back, came, you know, again, fell into place. Once you shift the culture of the campus, everything starts to, to fall into place. Achievement falls into place. Discipline falls into place. All of these other pieces fall into place. You build a really strong system of shared systemness with your staff. Um, you, you help them and you build them up in terms of their shared leadership. And you trust them and you trust that 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 you know their decision making all of these pieces really help to again build leadership many of them are now assistant principals and principals that i worked with as a teacher and then and now and, and, and through administration you know the same thing when i got to the high school the high school it, it, it's amazing that when i walked in this was a staff that was very frustrated um, they had had a principal that that was not effective and and so they were very they were struggling as a staff they were struggling as a school and and so when i came to the high school they were ready for leadership they were ready for somebody that can bring them together so it was much easier for me to do it at the high school um, the junior high was much tougher because it was a whole different culture but at the high school what we found was it was a lot of amazing teachers that just nobody ever gave them a chance. Nobody ever tapped them on the shoulder and said, what you are doing and what you are, what you are able to do uh, is amazing and we want you to do more of that. So when you bring that confidence to them and you give them leadership roles, all of a sudden it just changes their perspective um, and they believe. They believe in themselves. They believe in the kids. And it really does transform the school. You know, we, we went from being a school that was struggling just in terms of the identity to a school that was that was nationally recognized as a P21 exemplar school and it it was the same staff it was the same money we didn't get additional money to do it we didn't get you know I wasn't able to to get rid of all the bad teachers and bring in new good teachers I wasn't you know it was it was the same staff the same staff that was struggling before is the same staff that outperformed um, with the right supports and the right system. And, and I think it's just, it's just trusting people and trusting that they, and finding the, the spark in them, finding the, the value in each of them. And it doesn't matter whether they're a superstar. It doesn't matter if they're just, you know, uh, just getting by. They all want to be successful. And when you know that they all want to be success, successful, you tap into that success and that success grows more success. And so I do believe that, you know, and now being at the district level is the same concept with working with our principals. I want them to be successful. I trust them and, and they are being successful and they feel, they feel confident. They feel that they have our support and we're, we're learning together. It's not about me telling them what to do. It's about us working together to find out and figure out what's in the best interest of our district. You know, I love that you transformed a school with the same people and without any extra money. Because that, that's the first thing. Give me more money. Give me more time. Give me better staff. What if you decided to see your staff as the right staff, right? And it was your job as a leader to acknowledge the gifts that they had, to identify them, to say, man, well, I see what you're doing. Do more of that. We need you here. If you took that approach as a leader, which you did, uh, the success follows. So that, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, before we get to the two questions I love to ask all my guests, I just want to 
be able to explore with you real quick what your experience with TeachFX has been like. That's great. Well, TeachFX, for those of you that might know, is a, a tool, a learning tool that helps teachers reflect on their learning. And, and it truly is a, a gift. You know, as administrators, we go into the classroom and, and we do observations and we do evaluations, but that doesn't happen very often. And, and, and anybody will tell you that's, that's in, in, in our roles, whether it be as a principal or whether it be a, a, a district um, HR or education, will say that, you know, the, 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 the most important role that we have, one is to hire the right people, but two is to, to grow people's capacity. And so we, you know, we go into the classroom, do observation in a way to grow people's abilities and, 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 and capacity as a teacher, giving them the feedback they need to, to get better. But it happens way too infrequent. Um, we only go in there maybe every other year, in, in some cases every five years to do those types of conversations. What TeachFX does is it does this every single day. A teacher can be can be teaching their class and teach effects. What they do is it records the the instruction. The teacher's voice is recorded. The students' voices are recorded, uh, and then it transcribes that that recording that class period. So a teacher can prepare the lesson, can think about what they want to accomplish in their outcomes through the lesson. They're engaging. They're talking. They're they're developing and implementing their lesson. At the end of the lesson, they go back and they review that lesson to see if they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. Um, and in that transcription, they're able to see, they're able to see, did I ask the question that engaged the students in the right way? And, and so for them, it's that gift of self-reflection and analysis that then tomorrow I can go back and make those shifts. How TeachFX has transformed our teacher is in regards to our English learners and students with disability. The teachers can say, you know, one of our biggest initiatives is to get students to speak more. How do we ensure that students speak more often, especially our English learners, to build their language capacity and language acquisition? And so this has allowed the teachers to figure out, well, how much student talk is there? Do, is, is it all teacher talk or is it all, you know, student, is it balanced between teacher talk and student talk? And for the most part, you know, it's teacher talk. And so for us, it was important that students spoke more than 30% of the class period, but we had no way of measuring that. So TeachFX allowed us to measure that, measure that, we, that students had at minimum 30% speaking time in the class. And so what the teachers did is they started to analyze what types of questions they were asking. Were they a level one question, level two, level three? Did it engage the students in a way that was very natural and organic? And so teachers then begin to adjust their instruction to ensure that they're, that they're asking the right questions, that they're engaging the right students, that they are um, developing the processes they need to have an effective lesson. So TeachFX has been a tool of learning of instructional practices for our teachers. So it, 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 it has been transformative in terms of how we've utilized uh, that tool. How much of the class period is spent inviting students to the dialogue so that you're, they're doing the thinking, not, not the teacher? So awesome, Manuel. Well, exactly. if you could put a message on all school marquees across the globe for just a day, what would be on the marquee? You know, I've been thinking about it because it's to have that opportunity would be amazing. And to see this message all over the world, how would I feel? reading that and seeing that. So the message I would put is love what you learn, 
live what you love. Love what you learn, live what you love. You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Well, the first thing is hire the right people. <laughs> I know that I mentioned, um, you know, transforming the people you already have. But if I'm getting to pick and build the school from the ground up, I would make sure that, that the hiring process was effective to hire the people, the right people. Uh, the top three priorities, I think the first one would be to ensure that the curriculum that we are implementing is innovative, uh, engaging and relevant for our students. Uh, you know, education is going to look differently past COVID-19 and, and, and what we are you know, it's, it's, it's a whole new world. So how do you take advantage of that opportunity and, and broaden how we instruct and how we learn? So uh, develop that type of curriculum. I think the second thing for me is, is how do you create an environment that is inclusive, that builds on the strengths of the people, and that is compassionate? You know, that environment is huge, not only for our students, but for our staff. You want to be a place and have a place where everybody wants to be there, where the teachers want to be there, where the students want to be there, where the families want to be there. Uh, so how do you create that environment and, and ensure that it's inclusive and it's building on the strengths, not only of the students, but of the community and is compassionate? And then the third thing is, is really how do you build community around your school? Build community in terms of bringing in those business partners who are essential to your success. And that it's a two-way street. You know, they're essential to you and you're building their future workforce. So how do you ensure and you, that they are part of building their future workforce? Higher education. How do you bring in higher education in terms of, of building that future, that pathway uh, for students. And also, you know, how do you bring in those agencies and local nonprofits that can be utilized as resources? You know, money is, is, is always going to be up and down and, and, and we're always going to struggle in schools financially. But how do you realize, utilize resources that are, that are at your hands, at your fingertips that you can, you, you know, that, that don't, uh, require money, but re but there are other kinds of resources that you can definitely bring in to support your school. So uh, those are the three things that I would do. Manuel, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Be yourself and be compassionate with what you do. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.